We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We have a fun Saturday edition for you. Uh, before we get to that, the context of that episode, I do want to talk to you real quick about the Combine and remind you guys that there was a late episode yesterday released with Jared Mueller, who is uh, alive and on site for Dogs by Nature, doing a great job there. So I wanted to get with Jared because not only does he have Combine insights from performances and interviews, he also kind of has a way of cultivating information around the organization from agents and those connected to the Browns that are on site and in Indianapolis. And then obviously he does a good job with the NFL wide insights too. So check that out from yesterday. If you miss that today's episode is going to be an interview I did on Quincy carriers YouTube channel unfiltered, where we talk through Brown's coaching changes, you know, what sort of things we're looking at with free agency, where it all ties together, what the Browns personnel decisions might be. There's a lot of, information in this pod some stuff you've probably heard me say maybe some stuff you haven't and I think Quincy ties it all together in a nice way that um, you know makes for an interesting listen and to including some information on the offensive line as well so I think it's well worth your time as a subscribing to his channel you can find that information uh, obviously uh, plenty of Browns information I should say over on his channel as well so I visit there a couple times a month so check that out. Let's shift our attention over to the interview, though. I think it's a good one, about 40 minutes, jam-packed with plenty of good information, insights, analysis of where the Browns are heading into this important part of the offseason. Before we do so, though, I want to get a quick word in from our sponsors, and then we'll jump into that interview with Quincy Carrier right after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's been a while since I've had Jake Burns on here, and the Browns have done a lot to kind of move some pieces around on the offensive side of the ball. So I want to bring in one of the best to talk about that kind of thing. Jake, you you've been you've been talking about the Browns needing to make adjustments on the offensive side of the ball since I think like week four or five um during the season. Given that, how, how do you feel about what the Browns have been able to do from a hiring standpoint? And what do you think some of these hires bring to the table as far as the collaboration? Yeah, so I think that the way I phrased it this offseason is I have kind of felt like there's been a desire to have more answers built into what they do, right? Like um, more, more uh, like an ability to pull on more experience. So what what I think has kind of happened over the years is Kevin has almost been alone in like, not, not been alone necessarily, but has sort of tapped out the guys he's with in terms of what they can bring to the table, what they've done, how they've executed it, their thought processes. And I think Kevin has figured out, I can do most of the things these guys do, right? He mm-hmm. probably was the leading voice in a lot of those discussions. And um, for example, it's third and 12, fourth quarter, you know, looking for something from somebody who's watched the game in real time and can give you like, Hey, we have, a really good concept here to beat this coverage, to beat this blitz, to beat whatever, right? I think that there's a chance in the midst of the last few seasons, Kevin has grown frustrated with coming up with different answers from his people around him. Um, Not to Mm. say that those guys are bad coaches at all, right? I think that the run game stuff that Callahan does is very hard to replicate, and that's a different discussion. But, you know, most of the time, offensive line coaches are in charge of developing the run game game plan for the week, and then, um, you know, playing a heavy hand in that and then playing a heavy hand in blitz pickup stuff, understanding how to pick up the favorite uh, sort of things defenses put together in hot packages and stuff like that when those money downs happen. So um, they didn't want to lose Callahan. That was quite obvious. So that was involuntary. But on the voluntary side, it was clear to me between Van Pelt, between McCartney and some of these other guys stumping and the like that they wanted to get some different fresh perspective in. Could that ultimately come back to bite them? I don't know, Quincy. We'll see. But I think that what Kevin is clearly wanting to do is expand expertise and expand the um, lens by which offensive football is viewed. So he went out, acquired some people that have called plays on their own. Ken Dorsey at OC. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But that's a guy who's obviously been in the heat of battle, developed his own game plans, called his own plays. Same for uh, what they did at tight ends coach with Tommy Reese, right? Like he's a guy who's obviously not at the NFL level, but at the college level, two major programs. And anytime Nick Saban trusts you at a young age to call an entire side of the football, that's pretty meaningful. So he has experience doing different things, coming up with different solutions, both in-game and in pre-game, doing different things to put together game plans. And I think uh, if you looked at Alabama, their offense got better, I thought, as the year wore on uh, uh, last year for sure. So I think 
that is the thing he's trying to do most. Obviously, bringing in a different perspective to the run game with Deuce Staley, right? A guy who's been around different types of coaches, including Frank Reich and some of the others. Like, uh, he spent time over there in Detroit recently, so he's got a good feel for what they were doing. Obviously, with Ben Johnson, like I think that he was trying to pull different perspective. He went out of his way to get that, and I think he did a really nice job of doing that. Now, the one thing that'll ultimately be the telltale of whether they figured this out is whether they can get and integrate Andy Dickerson into the role of filling the shoes of Bill Callahan in a way that's meaningful, right? Dickerson was around guys. I think you and I would consider smart coaches, obviously starting significant amount of time in St. Louis and spending the latter half of his time in St. Louis when they became the LA Rams getting with McVay, obviously Shane Waldron trusted him enough to bring him over. And what I found interesting Quincy was that he was brought to Seattle originally as the, um, they didn't usually, you see these two paired, uh, as the O-line coach and run game coordinator. But when Waldron was hired in Seattle, they brought him in uh, Dickerson and as just the run game coordinator because they had a veteran offensive line coach. But they didn't want to hold off another year because they thought Dickerson could be gone. So they brought him in as the run game coordinator. Mm-hmm. Obviously, once they moved on from the O-line coach after Waldron's first year, he got the dual role. But there's a, a good amount of background between Waldron and obviously you know, what McVeigh does and to, to incorporate some interesting motion elements and different concepts schematically into the, to what they do in the run game. So I think the thing that I would tell Browns fans is you should probably understand that the Browns are going to look at offense through a different lens this year, which could mean that it could look a little different than what you're used to seeing from Kevin and what he had with his guys for four years, right? That's a four years of steady offense is, is kind of a, a consistent maker. So I, I think that this year, the offense, we know the defense looks significantly different last year. I know Kevin's in charge of the offense, so they're not changing out who's in charge of it. But I would expect Kevin to lean pretty heavily into the uh, opinions and uh, concepts that those guys bring to the table. And I, I think it's it's quite clear that the Browns are going to try to restructure, reshuffle, and rethink how they go about offense in 20, uh, 2024, which is wild to say. I can't believe it's 24. But yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what I think it'll look different. Yeah, and to go back to something you said at the beginning, right, when it came to, like, the the frustration with maybe the lack of, I don't know, the creativity or just, like, different answers than what he already had on, on certain things. It reminds me of how thrilled he was with Amari and Deshaun in that Arizona game where he was, like, pretty much, like, beaming with the smile, like, ear to ear, where he's like, oh, yeah, they drew that up. You know, they, mm-hmm. they came up with that answer themselves based on what the team was doing with the blitz. And looking back on that, I wonder if that was more of a of a sign of the direction that they were going to be pointed in um, than maybe we thought at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think what you, if you track the heaviest voice in the room will be Dorsey, right? So if you track like what Ken Dorsey has done, a lot of option routes. If you if you pay attention to people that have covered Buffalo, they will give wide receiver quarterback flexibility to come off the ball, read what coverage is, and alter your route based on that. Now, the Browns' offense has not been that way. It's been a bit more rigid. So two things that I tell people about how the dif- this is going to differ, if they're going to lean into what Ken is best at, what he's done, is an increased usage of RPOs. He was really effective using those with Josh Allen, obviously one of the better running quarterbacks in the NFL, but obviously the ability from Josh to read quickly and flick it, right? You got the thing about RPO throws is that every single millisecond matters, right? So everything that uh, he did to get the football out quickly, whether that was a quick screen, whether that was a slant, a square in, 
off of a run concept, whatever. He was pretty good at that. So I think that they want to bring Ken in to incorporate a little bit more of that because he's one of the higher volume users of that over the past two years. And then, like I was just saying, the option route stuff. Can you take what the, like the Browns are pretty rigid in how they operate for the most part on short inside routes against specific coverages. So like they didn't give a ton of flexibility to alter routes to get to space all the time. So I think what they wanted to do was bring in an experienced option route play caller to give them a chance to no matter what coverage we get. Yeah. Second and eight, we think we get this coverage third and short. We think we get this coverage. Can you still have answers after the ball is snapped to give your quarterbacks and wide receivers chances to find open grass. So that's not easy. That's going to take a lot of repetition, but I do think that they want to have more answers post-snap so that they're not leaning into one thing that you have to be perfectly called to play. Like, I think this is what happens, Quincy. There's obviously the ability of Deshaun to take a dead play and create something, but they want to take that away. They don't want him getting hurt. They don't want him scrambling for his life where he makes some bad choices protecting the body, right? They're hoping that that gets better, but what they would like to do is provide more answers by design than anything else. So to, to me, in my opinion, why the, the, the decision here made sense is they want to provide Deshaun and his wide receivers in drop-back scenarios the opportunity to alter routes to find an answer within a scheme. That's the thing they want to do, to throw the football even when something's taken away, we also have an answer for that. If they want to sit and curl flat, we'll run a slant, right? If they want to bring two to a side, we have an option, a quick hot option for that. If they want to play cover three, we know instead of bending that, we're going to push up the hash. Like they they know they need answers that don't involve the play call being perfect time, perfect place, perfect thing, or Deshaun scrambling and making something crazy happen. So I think that those are two between the RPOs more designed schematic option routes. It's a path to answers that they think that they need given how, you know, things get in the NFL super condensed. Right. So I think that's the path here. Yeah. And given those changes, right. If you switch to doing more option routes and you want to find these answers post snap sometimes, how does that change how you look at this person, the personnel on the roster, right? Like, do you think that you have enough to be able to pull that off? Does that require, you know, or wide receivers, like what changes from a personnel standpoint that was that's going to be different from last year for this team to accommodate trying to make those adjustments? I'm not sure that the personnel has to change a lot. I think it's just going to take, they're going to have to coach their butts off, man. Like they're going to have to really get these guys to understand. I mean, this is somebody I'm sure you're familiar with the name blast from the past year, but Tavon Austin, hey, he's hanging around the NFL for a while, but if we know Tavon Austin, I mean that guy's like he's a he's a YouTube's the YouTube legend, OG YouTube legend. Tavon awesome. Yeah. Yeah, right. He's been a, he was around for a long my my general point is around the NFL for a long time, around uh, you know, a, a guy that people have respected sort of across the landscape for a long time. And one of the things he said when he got with um, you know, Ken Dorsey's offense is that this is one of the trickier ones to learn. So I think that as far as like this this personnel fit i think the personnel can fit maybe they're going to go out and expand this offseason in terms of bringing in another receiver or something but i mean amari's a smart guy i think elijah's a smart guy you listen to those guys talk they've been around enough ball to know i know that you know kiffin's offenses and at, 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 at ole miss were a part of that 
operation too with some choice route stuff. So uh, Elijah's been around it before, right? Can David Bell get acclimated? And the one that's trickier than all is Cedric Tillman, right? Who I think we could all agree had a real issue, a real propensity to kind of mess up the mental side from his Tennessee days. What do you think? What What do you think went into that? Was that just a I'm used to Tennessee and that Josh Heupel offense where I'm like all the way over and it, it's just a bigger adjustment, or was this just some like because it seemed like whenever they checked or something, he just was not getting the checks right, um, or sometimes it seemed like he just wasn't getting like the play right. Like what What yeah. do you boil that down to? Because like to me from the outside looking in. Those seem like issues that, like, you can excuse and camp in maybe, like, the first couple months of the season. But, I mean, this stuff happened late in the season where you, you would assume, like, he knows the playbook, right? Like, this can't be a I-don't-know-what-play-I'm-in kind of situation at this point. Well, my hunch here is that if you watch the tape of the young man, it's quite clear that he is exceptionally talented. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not hard to see – um, why he was recruited to Tennessee, quite obviously, because you know, if you if you know anything about Bishop Gorman football, that's as big time high school football as you will see. And you know, you get to Tennessee and you're playing in Heupel's offense, which if you paid attention to that, like you just mentioned, they ran a very unique horizontal stretch offense that that very often had two guys stacked with the widest port. Like I'm talking on the sideline it was very it was effective for them because they could use guys like Hyatt and Tillman and some others to really stretch defenses creating as much pre-snap space to post-snap yardage to get in between uh, levels of the defense it worked but it was not rigid it was not a very dense route tree and there was not much thinking that went into it so you want to talk about like the antithesis of an NFL option route based offense you're talking about that so my hunch is you came from Bishop Gorman, who was out athleting almost 95% of their competition, probably played up-tempo, minimal thinking, go run past people or hitch it up, you know, button hook it up, right? If you get, you know, they're going to bail at 15 yards, just hook it up at 10, right? Or run past people or run a post. He did very similar things in college, and he hasn't had to think through the game. He's been able to out-athlete people or play in schemes that allowed him to play minimal thinking just go out and do these simple things. Now that he has to think in the NFL at a higher level, not to, I'm not calling him stupid. I'm just saying, what has he been exposed to? It's a learning curve for him. So I think that we all saw him in camp. We all saw him in the preseason. It's like, there's a real player here, but then when you got to start thinking, am I blocking the number two off the edge here? Or am I blocking the safety when he fills the lane? Am I running a hit, a hitch here? Or if I become, if I short motion in and I now become the number one receiver instead of the number two, ah, what's the number one receiver running? Like there's levels to all of this, right? It's like the, another thing that was very telling of this about this, about the mental side that he has to get better at is that Flacco interception against the bears where he's running a, a, a seam route and he's supposed to be running a bender in between the safety and the linebacker. So like anytime you get open coverage, you're supposed to run If it's a vertical concept by the inside guys, you're supposed to run what's called a bender. You get past the first level, which is a linebacker rerouting you and you bend it in front of the safety. There's a hole, there's a void. If it's a single high uh, or, or what's called closed coverage, you keep it vertical to press the safety to cover space left and right. So 
he got split field coverage. Like the NFL is unique in that, like, hey, we can run cover two over here, but we can box up and bracket the backside. So it's a closed coverage look. So he has to understand the whole coverage, right? Not just what's happening in front of him, but you have to understand the whole coverage to know what the quarterback is looking at because you watch that player like, well, Flacco threw that right to Eddie Jackson's hands. What the heck? Now nah, the wide receiver ran the wrong route. You watch Kevin Stefanski. He gets on him right away when he gets back to the sideline. So I think that there's just that. The rookie year for him was important. I have to think the Browns knew that that was going to be a big thing for him. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a challenge. They didn't, they didn't maybe wanted to move on from Donovan before the year, but they couldn't. And they got to the season and the point of the year where they're like, we just got to let this kid play through it. They did. Um, th- those reps are invaluable to him to get that opportunity. And I expect him to be a better football player if he puts in the work. I, I don't see any reason he wouldn't. He'll be a better player. But there's going to be more. Uh, there's going to be a more. Uh, I don't know the right idiom to use here, but the meat will be heavier on the bone. He's got to. He's got to know more with this. And I think the Browns need to really make sure mentally he gets there because he's physically size wise, body type. He can do a lot of different NFL valuable things, but you can't play him if he can't line up right and he can't run the right route. So there's got to be a heavy investment into the into the mental side for him because the physical can play. We know that the physical can play. I, like how when you have a veteran quarterback like you have with Deshaun Watson, like how much time do you really have for Cedric Tillman to figure this out before it becomes something where? It's hard to get him on the field because Deshaun would rather just have somebody who he can trust. It's going to be in the right spot and, and and reliably be where they're supposed to be out there versus somebody who has that upside like Cedric Tillman does. He's uh, let's put it this way. In, in year two in the NFL, I think you would agree with me on this. It's go time, man. Like he's yeah. got to get he's got to go like. <laughs> You can obviously you see some receivers break out after their second year, maybe get into the third or fourth year, but the Browns are in the middle of a window where they don't have patience. And he's mm-hmm. if he wants to get on the field, it's got to be a right now thing. So I, I don't know, man. I I, I don't want to say it's like a make or break season, but you're a third round pick and a team that is like really needing your presence to matter. So I would be extremely disappointed if he didn't hit the ground running this year much better on the mental side man and i and i don't think they're going to have a ton of patience for it because every every part of like like let's put it this way and i think again i don't think i'm saying anything groundbreaking here but deshaun watson needs confidence he needs confidence in himself and he needs confidence in his guys and there's no t- time to waste here on four or five miscommunications in the first few games you, you can't you can't have it so uh, hopefully deshaun's shoulder is getting right and he can get you know, with his guys later this off season and put in the reps necessary here, but they got to see the game through the same lens this year. And, um, you know, Tillman is, is the thing that we know again, is that it, he's an extremely talented player. He's just got to figure out the, the, the mental side of it. And I mean, there's no reason to think he can't. So the, the optimism should be there and the expectations should be there. And I think that he's, if you listen to him, he's saying it too. And the, and the coaching staff believes too. So, yeah, I think the Browns are going to be active and probably try to get another body in at wide receiver because it's just such a good class. But um, Tillman will have a chance, man. He's going to have a real chance, and I hope he takes advantage of it. Yeah, it's just one of those things, too, where like he he probably just didn't know what he didn't know to come yeah. into it, right? Like, he, dude, like I think even DTR, which interesting, both went to the same high school, Bishop. Um, but they, even DTR like kind of alluded to this where he was like, yeah, like what he felt like was prepared to be a backup 
in the NFL just wasn't even close to what, what he needed to be at. Um, and then he looked a little bit more prepared for those next couple of games. So it, it might just be a situation where it's like, okay, I didn't know it was like, I thought I would just come up here and win routes. Like, you know, it, he thought it might've yeah. been a little bit more simple for him, which for some guys like what Josh Gordon never really had to do any of the other stuff. Right. Like you just got open. Right. So until that is taken off the table, you don't understand, okay, I need to do these things now um, mm-hmm. at a little bit of a higher level. So that, that might be the case for Cedric. Also, you know, look, getting yelled at by Joe Flacco and Deshaun Watson, like it might ring something there where it's like, uh, it, it ain't it ain't them. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Again, I think that I think that modern football, I'm kind of trying to be careful with this, like modern football does a lot of favors to quarterbacks and wide receivers that it's never done at the younger mm-hmm. levels. But I also think there are those hurry up offenses and Tennessee, one of the more gimmicky groups, no offense. They won ball games. You do what you got to do, but it was not, like being coached by Jim Harbaugh and what those offenses are doing that are very mirroring Sunday football. So I think there's just a chance he's gotten by with doing the things that they've asked him to do. And it's not his fault. He's just gotten by doing those things. So hopefully last year was a huge, uh, and I'm sure he'll talk on this in the upcoming preseason was a huge learning curve, but I think the Browns trusting him um, with, even with, you know, Donovan wasn't producing, but he was a guy who'd been around for a while the Browns were in the thick of the playoff hunt when they traded him. So to trust Cedric to get out there more often, even despite the mental stuff said that they, that they believe he can block and they believe he can win routes at a higher level. And that mm-hmm. faith should mean something to him. And hopefully he repays that with a dedicated off season of learning the things he needs to learn. Cause again, it's just, it's just putting in the time. It'll, it'll just be for him having that experience under his belt, putting in the time in the film room, putting in time with his, his wide receiver coach who I'm sure um, O'Shea will have no problem doing that with him and just and just applying himself. He's a smart enough to hear him talk. He's a smart guy. He's just got to figure out the little nuances of the position that unfortunately where he was didn't provide that for him. And that's like, you know, again, that's like a recruiting tactic too, right? You know, like these coaches, some will sell you, we're going to get you ready for Sunday and some are just trying to win Saturdays. That's a fact. <laughs> and that's it. it. It's interesting when you look at like these college programs, because like if you look at them like a, college program right we're supposed to get you ready for the professional world there are some that take that very serious and then there's some that's like well we're just trying to win games right and we're gonna well, do quincy ask me ask you why do these guys keep going to alabama and why do they keep going to Ohio state why does Ohio state keep getting mm-hmm. because what ryan day is doing and what chip kelly will now continue to add to is sunday stuff they do mm-hmm. sunday stuff in their offense right it's, it's not as dense but it's sunday stuff Olave hits the ground running. Wilson hits the ground running. These guys are playing. Terry McLaurin, I know it was a little before, but like these guys are doing Sunday things and they're teaching him the game. And it's not phony. Like the, the, you talk to every guy you talk to that has played there and these new, you know, Jeremiah Smith will come in and be a, a youngster coming in, the number one kid again. They're going there because they know that Ohio State prepares them to hit the ground running in the NFL. And I think that's a selling point that matters. You know, not only are we winning Saturday games, but we're getting you ready to, you know, and I'm sure Marv will be the same thing. You know, like Marvin's so confident in himself. He's not even doing any of the testing or any of this stuff. He's just, I'm ready to play on Sunday. And he will be, he'll produce right out the gate because that's the stuff that they're teaching him there. Yeah. It's like going to a Harvard law, right? Where it's like, you are prepared for a lot. You probably can hit the ground running if you're used to the education they give you there at Ohio state. It's kind of a similar thing. Ohio state, Alabama, obviously would be 
Ivy League equivalents to football education, um, especially like working under a Nick Saban. But one of the positions I think has been talked about but not really talked about thoroughly is the running back position. Um, With Nick Chubb coming back from this injury, I think there are two real possibilities. One, well, obviously there's a possibility he's not the same player, right? Coming off of the ACL, right? But outside of that, I think there's a possibility, one, he's not available week one, or that maybe throughout the beginning of the season, they're not comfortable running him a Nick Chubb amount of times, right? They're not going to be comfortable running him, you know, 15, 20 times, which the the thing that was going to change, I think, last year was Nick Chubb was going to go from taking 70, 65 to 70% of the carries to taking about 80 to 85% of all running running back carries um, in order to kind of keep his numbers up. And now I think that's probably a plan you adjust where you might think about making them split carries more. With Nick coming back from this knee injury, how does that change what you think the approach is for that room for Andrew this offseason? Yeah, he's got to have somebody ready to go right away because I think we can agree that Nick will be better by December. I mean, it's, lo- it's common logic here. I'm not, again, not breaking <laughs> ground here, but I think Nick is in November, December ready. Like that would be a great outcome. So you better have Ford ready to go. I think, you know, Pierre Strong will be a fringe roster make. We'll see if they keep four backs. Maybe they like his special team stuff. They keep him around. I don't know. But uh, obviously Kareem's not coming back. So you're looking at an idea of like, are they going to draft a guy? I thought last year they would draft a guy. They decided against it. I think this year presents itself a nice value. It's not an early heavy running back class, but there's real talent in the 85 to 135 range that I think they could capitalize on. Um, and I think they need to bring in a guy who can play early. So that means probably one of your first three picks should be a running back. Unless you're going to sign somebody, they could surprise us and say, Hey, we want to go the cheap one, two year route here. Maybe a Zach Moss, um, trying to think of some others that'll be out there. Maybe they, I don't know the hell there's a world. They love Austin Eckler because he's the guy out of the backfield green Bay. Yeah. You could get the, the big fella Brooks, right? Um, I think, no, 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 we're screwing up Dylan, um, Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks, Dylan. Dylan Brooks. I feel like we're really messing this up, Quincy. We have to edit this. <laughs> um, it's not Dylan Brooks. That's uh, the Dylan Brooks is he's the, he is the he is the Rockets. Uh, AJ we Dillon. almost got to we, we got that. half of it. Right? We got to keep Dillon. that in. AJ yeah. Dylan, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, AJ Dylan, big fella. He he didn't he didn't really break out in Green Bay with with what Lafleur did. Largely, Aaron Jones kind of out in front. But yeah, that's another one. So there's like the Zach Moss world, and then there's like the cheap. Cheap young, you know, cheap young player kind of getting a bounce back. Think of like Devin Singletary, what he was able to kind of recreate his his uh, career there in, in, in Houston last year, right? So uh, maybe there's an opportunity there um, for A.J. Dillon to do something similar in Cleveland, right? So there's the vet market, but if they don't go the vet market, I think there's a real possibility that they could pull out, um, you know, something, something quality out of the draft. I, I mean, there's a lot of guys I like that if you're going young, you're going somebody like, uh, at the top, like Audric Estime has been the name that's been connected to the Browns already kind of early in this whole thing. The Notre Dame kid, Braylon Allen, both of those guys, the Wisconsin kid, they're both 20 years old, very young. There's Trey Benson. There's like Bucky Bucky Irving. There's a lot of like pick your flavor running backs that'll be available to them. Um, if you go late, like a, um, a Kamani Vidal, who's out of, who's out of uh, Troy, who's a nice player. Like there's, there's plenty of options here for, for them to go get a, a back and, 
you know, like last year, a guy that I was banging the table for, um, you know, the East Carolina kid that ends up in, in, uh, what's his name? Keaton Mitchell ends up in Baltimore as a UDFA had a mm. great run at the second half of the season for them. So, I mean, there's, you just got to hit like whatever route they go, if they go free agent or if they go, if they go in the draft, I would, I would like them to draft a guy, but it can't be like, it can't be a fringe Jerome Ford's kind of on the fringe. You need to hit somebody who's a little bit more consistent here. And um, I think they can, the NFL has proven that you can hit on these backs in the middle rounds and late rounds. So hopefully the Browns, I think they'll, I think they'll take a swing. I, I do. So uh, plenty of options there to pick your flavor, but I do think a power back, uh, of 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 AJ Dillon's style or Estime or Braylon, um, make a lot of sense there. Braylon Allen, the Wisconsin kid, so especially so if that'll you're be trying to refresh and replace what Kareem Hunt brought to the offense last year. It's like yeah, yep. that short yardage guy. Uh, where yep. we know Nick Chubb, even like at his best, he had some issues with that short. Right? More issues than you would think would pop up with him doing short yeah. yardage stuff. Uh, patient but, runners can can be a hindrance there, right? You know, he's a very yeah. he's a very patient guy. You need someone that can put their head down at times without. Without thinking twice, they'll get you a couple yards, right? Absolutely. Uh, now let's talk about the offensive line real quick here. Um, they 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 have Jed Wills under contract. Obviously, Dewan Jones coming back. He looks healthy. Seeing how he was celebrating the game winner. <laughs> I'm at the Cavs game and popping around. That I mean, yeah, it's good. It was, I was like, all right, you know, maybe he can switch to left tackle, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> and great. then you also have Jack Conklin coming back. I. You're in a weird spot if you're the Browns because, like, I could see a world where if they weren't in win-now mode, they might be willing to experiment, right, and move some guys other places to save some money. Mm -hmm. And maybe just say, hey, we'll we'll draft somebody, and then if Jack gets hurt, Jack gets hurt, right? Like, it is what it is. But that's definitely not the situation that they're in. But also, you're not necessarily in a situation where you can afford to have, you know— what twelve million dollars on the bench, basically, right? Where with either Jed Wills or Jack Conklin, um, and it, it, it's just an interesting spot because if you flip Dewan to left and then you get rid of Jed and then you start Jack, well, then you're relying on Jack to stay healthy. And as he gets yeah. older, the more injuries that pile up, especially at offensive line, the plus three hundred pounders, those injuries don't stop once they start happening, um, and you, you just worry about the the stability of that if you go that route. Um, Jed, the issue with Jed is that he's very inconsistent, right? There, there are times where he was almost like, you had to consider like, is he still playable at this point yeah. last year? Um, so it's not like you could just throw Jed out there and you're going to be at a B plus level for at left tackle. There's times where Jed will dip below that C average. Um, and that's an issue for them. Like, how, how do you think that they go about this? Do you think Andy Dickerson, a new voice, being in that offensive line room changes things for Jed? Uh, do you think maybe just a slightly different um, way of going about things in that offensive line room is what Jed needs at, at this point? Because it, you, you got to figure out something to feel comfortable about that entire line. And until you do something at left tackle, I don't think you're going to find that comfort. Well, from from the perspective of how many guys are on the roster, I think you have to look at it from like what what can you do? You you can't really you can't cut any of them. So how I would phrase it is this like you're not going to um you're not gonna be able to really trade Jack for anything and you and you're not moving Dewan in a trade because he's the young upside of your future at the position. The one that has some trade value is Jed. So you mm-hmm. have to look at it like 
essentially you can't restructure him until you trade. Cause if you restructure him in some way and do something to lighten that, that burden, he's essentially locked in. So he's one that has some trade value. There's very easy world where you can see an NFL coach around the NFL. Like we can get this guy, right. You know, like doesn't take anything crazy to see that. So if they're going to trade or move off of one, Jed would be the guy that that is most likely to happen. I hope that there's a, a path that if they keep those three around or whatever they do, they take a swing, right? You know, moving Dewan to left and moving Jed back to right. Like, don't box yourself in in terms of, like, what you think these guys are. If you have no path forward other than Jack's going to be our swing tackle and be around and, and do kind of whatever, I hope that they take a swing and see and if Jed can play the right side, DeWan can play the left and let's go with it. I don't I, I don't think you need to, like I said, feel like you've boxed these guys into two positions. I think they should be flirting, experimenting, and doing some different things. So um that my hunch is the 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 two things that I could see and one of them I hope to see, hope I'm making this clear, is that if one is moved, Jed is the most likely to be moved. And if they keep those three guys around, because I think reducing the position salary and then signing a swing tackle, a cheaper guy who can come and be like a, a, your version, this year's version of Chris Hubbard, whoever that is to, to be a veteran can play right or left in a pinch, right. Uh, is, is a better route to go. But if they don't have the ability to come up, maybe nobody's offering anything meaningful for Jed and you don't really feel like eating the cap on, on, on cutting Conklin or something, then I think you have to look at my, my thing would be taking a swing and moving Jed to the right side, moving Dewan to the left, seeing how it works. If it fails, you have Conklin to fall back into if something's not working. Because I just think that we get too like, hey, Jed's only played NFL left tackle and Dewan played right tackle. Oh, let's see if there's a better fit for these guys. Let's let's see if Jed getting back to the right side feels like home to him and he plays better football, right? Let's see if Dewan step he stepped up to the challenge last year. Maybe he's ready to step up and be a guy at left tackle this year. I you know, so I I hope that they are experimental is how I would put it in, in how they solve this problem at, at uh it's really a more left tackle problem, but you can, in, in again, Conklin has played left tackle in his career too. So uh, throughout his NFL and college life too, a little bit. So he could be a guy that they could try over there. Uh, I just don't want them to feel like they, they've explored things when they haven't really explored it. So I hope they, they get Andy brings in pr- for some fresh perspective or uh, recommendations there. Yeah, and and you know this is one of the areas when we talk about trying to trade Jed Wills. Where I feel like the Browns not being the old Browns kind of hurts them because it, you like if people just look at your situation and think, oh, it's dysfunctional. The coaching's terrible. We'll trade for Jed Wills, and and we're probably going to come up on that, right? Because you guys mm-hmm. don't know how to manage him. But when when you're coming off of like what he had pretty much his whole career with Bill Callahan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an easy thing to convince other offensive line coaches that they can. Like, I don't know. Coaches yeah. have egos, so like they, they always. I mean, think the thing that, the, guy the thing that about get it right. I'm with you. I'm I'm totally with you. The thing about Jed is like, <laughs> I think it sounds so silly to say out loud. We have done everything we can to get Jed Wills right. We've given him all the technique. We've given him all the answers. We've done all these motivation techniques. What's wrong? Hey, this guy in the back of the room raises his hand did we ever consider he never played left tackle until he got to the NFL and we should probably put him back on the right side where he played his whole life to mm. see if that works. Like, I just think it's funny to say out loud, like if this is the cap of who he is as a left tackle and you want more out of him, then put him at right tackle and see if that gives him that steady feeling of like, Oh, this is how I've grown at the position. 
And here's the answer. Like, I just, I'm kind of amazed they haven't considered that, Quincy. Like, mm-hmm. you've tried to make him your left tackle for four years. The answers have been, sorry, the results have been very uneven and to the point where I think that his confidence was really low last year at times. Put him in a place that he's the most comfortable as an athlete and let him watch him thrive. Like it could very well happen. So then you're trying to say, Dewan, can we get you to play left tackle? Can we figure that out? It's not impossible. He's an athletic dude again. So I'm jumping around like he's an athletic, massive human. I would bet he could handle it decently well. And at minimum as the same level as Jed. So then if Jed's playing really well on the right side, then you have a future young tackle combination right and you might just not have to pay jed a ton of money because he doesn't you know you're like well you know negotiation here is you haven't given us like andrew thomas level tackle player tristan Wirfs. here's the value and maybe you get more out of him than what you pay him because he's back on the side that he's most comfortable with and you get a good four or five years out of a deal i'm just saying i am a little amazed that they haven't tried to do that with him I wonder how much that has to do with this locker room politics because it might be one thing to convince Jack yeah. Conklin to stand behind like this freaking nature in Dewan Jones, but then if you tell Jack that like Jed's taking his job, like I don't know if that's something that goes over as well, like um, mm-hmm. with, with the politics of the locker room and everything else like that, or and also like I, I just want to know what you think of this. Jed was a blindside protector still in college, right? Because Tua was left-handed. Like, does that change anything as far as technique? Like, if what's what hand your quarterback is relative to what tackle position you're playing? I mean, a li- uh, not for the tackle so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that Jed is always he. If you know, Jed is a left-handed guy. Like, oh, he's always he's that. always yeah, he's left-handed as his dominant hand. So like, he's always been a bit better at the kick step and the inside counter. Cause if you know, Jed, he's got good feet. He can kick step and beat you to a spot on the high side where he gets beat. Most often is the inside mm-hmm. and he is not a right-handed guy by nature. So like, I'm always been curious about this weakness he's had. And it's like, well, his strong hand is his left hand. Like I don't, it's always been his inside protection. So I, I don't know, man. It's kind of it could be it could be like this is the way that Callahan wanted it, and they weren't going to change it. You mentioned Jack Conklin is in the way over there. We could never move him. Well, now's the time you can try that, and I think they should be flirting with that pretty seriously because he is still a first round pick. He is still a heavy investment, and they should be still flirting with ways to solve it. Unless you get somebody who says we'll give you a two, right, or a three for him, and you think that's enough i don't know what their threshold is for what's uh, you know in air quotes enough there but should be interesting to see how they handle it and i hope they think outside the box on this it'd be hilarious to see him and jonah williams careers like literally marry each other from like one year to a year i know man <laughs> I know. sometimes those position change like there's guys like Worfs tristan who's who's clearly mm-hmm. good enough to handle whatever side you put him on but i'm like I don't think I can sit here and call Jed a washout NFL tackle without playing the position that he played his whole life. I'd like mm-hmm. to see him play some right tackle, but uh, I don't know if they're going to, you know, we'll, I don't know if we'll ever get the reason behind why they haven't so far. And if they, if there's a world where they never give him a chance at right tackle in Cleveland, uh, I don't know again, if we'll ever get the answer on that, but I, I would be curious to know because it's like, it's like a it guy could be playing like an Orlando center. Brown thing where it's it, like it pride. Could. 
Like he doesn't yeah. want to switch to that side. He wants to be a left tackle. I just, I guess to me, why, why would he, they're paying right tackles better than ever. If you're good at yeah. it, they'll pay you now. It's not like 1998 anymore. So, you know, like again, a conversation around another young trade target, Greg Newsom, like he's playing the slot and you, they're never paying the slot as much as they are outside corners. So that's a justification I could get for why you'd want to go back outside. But like left and right tackles get paid well, man, you'll get paid enough if you're really good at it. And I didn't get the vibe when he was drafted, he was hungry to switch sides. So like mm. it felt like a coaching franchise decision uh, more so than, than his own desire. I, I hope that there's, I hope that there's at least a consideration for that because the answer could be right in front of your face and you're not trying it. Right. This is a fun exercise in figuring out how like a simple, quick decision can sometimes turn into like <laughs> this whole different web of things where it's like, okay, yeah. well, maybe we switch them to right. And it seems it could be as simple as that. It might be the answer might be as simple as that. But like getting to that answer requires figuring out answers to a bunch of other things. Um, and that's where the Browns are at. But with the new coach, you're right. I mean, the, the people are more accepting of new things becoming happening because now there's not like an established relationship. It doesn't feel like it's a personal thing. It's just like, Hey, he's just yep. doing something different. Uh, so this is your chance if they, if they want to do chance. it right. Um, or we're going to find out that Andrew Barry's dead set against him playing right tackle, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it, it, it's going to be fascinating. I, I really don't see the point in arguing against it largely because, you know, uh, I would give another guy a shot to play left tackle. So uh, and you have a pretty athletic big fellow there who's adept at pass pro and Dewan. I'd give him a chance to do it. He flirted with it early at his Ohio State career, so it's not something he's never done before. So, yeah, man, I just, like I said, it could it could be as simple as Callahan's got his plans and they were going to stick with whatever he suggested. So, uh, yeah, we'll see, man. An opportunity to get creative and think outside of the box they've been kind of you know putting themselves in. And you would think like Deshaun would rather just have the big tall dude as his blindside guy, just because he's like, I know where that guy is going to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty clear that there was some uncomfortability there with with uh, with with Jed at left. Not that there was any comfort when you know they lost everybody either, but but I I just think that there's um, I don't know what other way to say it. I think we've covered it pretty well here. They they need to try. They need to try some different things, and if they think that just the status quo is okay. I don't think that that's the solution. I hope they, and again, having a new O-line coach is uh, who got really good results out of his Seattle tackles, did a really good job. So I, I hope that they, I hope that they flirt with it. I'll be, I'll be really excited to hear what their thought process is on that. Once we hear from Dickerson a little later this year, right? Yeah. They had Jason Peters look at 36. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, but, man. Uh, thank you, Jake, for coming on. Very, very informative conversation as always. Uh, make sure you guys check out Jake at the OBR, also OBR Film Breakdowns, the podcast, and I believe there is a YouTube channel as well. Yeah, um, so we dabble. Sure, we dabble. Make sure you guys <laughs> check that out. Um, thank you, Jake, for coming on. Everybody else, have a good day. Have a good night. Peace. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.